Father in heaven, thank you for your continued kindness towards us. Often overlooked, Lord, your mercies truly are new every day. Help us, Lord, to pray with confidence, knowing that Christ lives in heaven, interceding on our behalf. Father, may your name be hallowed, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done today. As Christ and the cross are exalted throughout the world, comfort those who are struggling, heal those who are hurting, pursue those who are wondering, and free those who are enslaved to their sin. Lord, faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, so come now. Holy Spirit, and magnify Christ as Richard preaches your word. Anoint his lips and bless our ears to hear your voice. Have mercy, Lord, and plant new faith where it does not exist and strengthen the faith where it is found. Help us to taste and see the goodness of the gospel of grace in Christ. Jesus, help us to believe in your finished work that you accomplished our salvation through your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for your glory and the radiance of your face. Smiling on us, we ask you to come and do your work. As the rain and snow bring life to the earth, bring us life now through the proclamation of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. J.I. Packer said, If I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible, knowing that it is the Word of God teaching men to know and love and serve the God of the Word. I should do all I could to frighten people off from using their minds in a disciplined way to get the measure of of its message. So, just as the devil would seek to distract you Monday through Saturday from The word, our desire is to encourage you to devour and love the Bible. And we begin a series last week of why we earnestly teach the Bible. Sort of added some words to that as I went um, and said it to you over the course of last week. Why we joyfully, vigorously, earnestly teach the Bible. I just think if you're new here, you ought to know what to expect when you come in here. And what I want you to know is that every time, whether it's I I speak or someone else, that everything we say, thoughts are going to be anchored somewhere in the Bible because we believe that it has the power to bring life to your heart. We said we're going to give eight reasons that we teach the Bible as a church. Last week we looked at four of them. You can look online if... That would be of interest to you. Last week we said we teach it because it's living, it's transformative, it's confrontational, and it's unavoidable. This week we'd look at four more, and the num- number five is it's authoritative. Why do we teach the Bible? Number five, fifth reason, it's authoritative. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, Training in righteousness that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When the scripture says that the Bible is God-breathed, it means that God breathed his thoughts into the thoughts of 40 people, 40 human personalities who wrote his book. It's an amazing thing. If I took the time to write a book, I wouldn't let anybody share in it. But God shares his glory 
and allows his mind to be imparted into the minds of 40 people, biblical writers, and he breathed into them so that his thoughts were in their thoughts, their minds, and their, their hands that were writing. Now, a lot of times when people think about God sharing his truth with 40 writers, they think, well, there's got to be errors somewhere. No, that's what it means for the Bible to be God-breathed. He oversaw the process of all the writing. Let me just share with you how remarkable this is. If you look at some of the great writings of ancient history, uh, you're going to see down at the end of this list the, the New Testament. So of all the writings of the New Testament, none compare in the category of the New Testament with the accuracy and how many there are. We have 5,800, between 56, 5,800 copies of the New Testament. And if you take, now what, the reason why this is important, you think about 5,600 times a scribe took this copy of the New Testament and made a new copy. And made, so 5,600 people involved. And if you look at all the copies of the ancient manuscripts we have in the New Testament, 5,600 of them, they only differ in 0.5%, 99.5% accurate. So if you think, do I have what the original writers of the Bible had? You're within 0.5% accuracy. And, and those inaccuracies are things just like maybe a letter or maybe a word, but nothing ever to change the message of the Word of God. Now, if you look at the, the next closest to see how remarkable the New Testament, how miraculous it is, you look at the Iliad by Homer, and we only have 643 copies of that, and the accuracy of that is down to 95%. So I just want to tell you that what you hold in your hand, as A.W. Taylor says, the Bible is the eternal expression of the mind of God that no one reading the Bible will ever God would never lead somebody to sin by reading the Bible. No one would ever be led to miss the will of God by reading the Bible. It's the perfect expression of all God wants in our beliefs and our behavior. He's a speaking God. 2,000 times in Scripture, a verse of, of, of the Bible begins with, The Lord says. Two weeks ago, we said He's a prayer-hearing God. Today, I want to say He's a truth-speaking God. He speaks. 2,000 times the Bible says God said and Everything he speaks is exactly that you would know what God feels. It's impossible to know what is God thinking, what does he feel, how does he want behavior to be carried out apart from the Bible. People say all the time, well, I think God would not be like that or my God would. And that just doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter what I think on Sunday morning. What matters is what has God said? What has he revealed about who he is? Whether it's uncomfortable or comfortable, this is, this is the only way to know what God is like is in his word. So when we talk about the Bible being authoritative, it means that everything somebody would need to live is found in the book of God. Now look at the four ways in 2 Timothy 3 that the Bible speaks God's authority to our life. Number one, he teaches us through the Bible. If you want to have a relationship with somebody that's genuine, that relationship has to be based on truth. So if you want to have a relationship with God, he teaches us that which is true about him or the relationship is false. 
So God gives us the Bible that we'll have a true relationship with Him. Secondly, the Bible is for rebuking, which simply means that you read the Bible, you'll see things in your life and you're believing or you're behaving that are wrong. And He, he rebukes you. And why does He rebuke you? Because He says, you're going to miss my power, you're going to miss my purposes if you engage in this wrong belief and wrong behavior. So he rebukes us out of love. The third thing the Bible does in 2 Timothy 3 is it, oh, I love what Martin Luther said about the rebuking nature of the Bible. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. If you're probably living in disobedience, you probably won't be reading the Bible because it's coming after you in love. 2 Timothy 3, the third thing the Bible does is it corrects us. I love this about Scripture. It's like a surgeon, when he uses his scalpel, he cuts, and if he's using a cauterizing scalpel, it burns the cut so it stops the blood flow as it cuts, so it, it heals as it cuts. So the Bible doesn't just, it doesn't just rebuke you, but it shows you the way of correction. It provides a way out. It provides restoration. Like if you look in a mirror, and you see you got a little flick of food in your teeth, that's all that mirror can do is that you got food right there. But nobody ever flosses their teeth with a mirror. The mirror can't help you get it out. So the Bible shows you with its mirror of your heart, and then the Bible provides a way for you to change. Fourth thing the Bible does is it <clears throat> trains you, which simply means it brings you to a place of maturity, greater obedience, and greater um, ability to serve. Let me just tell you, what's, if you want to know what's going on at Hope Point, you say, what's going on behind the scenes at Hope Point right now? We feel that God has given us a whole bunch of new people, half of whom I, I ask every week, are you new here? I don't know you. But God has done this between the two services, a lot of new people. And we think the purpose that he's doing this is that we might train you. We don't want you to just come. We want you to be more mature. There are people in your life, in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your home that you can affect. So we want you to each week to be trained, mature, stronger obedience, stronger faith so you can you can serve and lead where God has asked you to lead. So number six, why do we teach the Bible a lot around here? Because it's, it's life-giving. It's why we believe in it. It's why we earnestly, joyfully teach it. 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. Past few months, Dan done an excellent job of taking us through 1 Peter Loved every bit of it. The purpose of the book is to teach persecuted, suffering Christians to remind them to stay faithful by reminding them all the things that God has done in their life to bring them into the family, into the kingdom of God. And here he says, God has caused you to be born again. One of my favorite all-time words in the, in, in, in the scripture, in history, in literature, to be born again. I love the word born again. New. New start. New purity. Now, new love. 
new peace, new power, new destiny. I'm born again. It's not a better thing I could tell you that you can be born again. And Peter says, how did that happen? How did you become born again? He said, through the word of God. And I love it. He describes what happened to the whole church when the whole church became obedient to this word and receptive to this word. Look how he described how he painted a picture of this church in 1 Peter. You have purified yourself. So they've been made pure, cleansed of sin by obeying the truth, obeying the gospel, believing Christ so that you have now love for one another. What a great place to be. Everybody pursuing purity. Everybody loving one another. How did this happen? You have been born again. The most beautiful thing that God ever does on earth is assemble a group of people and come through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and causes us to be born again. It is amazing when you take a heart that doesn't love God, eyes that aren't looking for God, ears that can't really hear God, a mind that doesn't know God, and all of a sudden they come to church and they hear the Word of God and the Spirit of God at that point of contact between the Word and that person's heart. He ignites a blazing passion and causes that person to believe what they're hearing and they're born again. It's sort of like, I was reading this week, it's sort of like an arc welder. How that whole thing works when a man will take in his hand this rod, this coated metallic electrode welding rod, and he'll touch this cold piece of steel with this welding rod. And right as that welding rod is about to touch that cold, lifeless steel, right when it's about to, it arcs. And the temperature of that arc is 6,500 degrees. And all of a sudden, that cold piece of steel becomes white hot. This is what God does with the Word of God. He allows me as a preacher to hold the welding rod, the Bible. And as I begin to speak it and it falls upon your heart, you may have come in here today lifeless and, or bitter and, or disappointed in God. And, and the Word of God touches. And as it touches your heart, the Holy Spirit, right at that connection, turns, maybe it's through music, maybe it's through what I'm saying now, turns your cold heart into white, hot arm-raising, passionate worship to Jesus Christ. This is what happens every week. People literally, by the Word of God, become born again. This is the power of the Word. John MacArthur, pastor in California, several years ago had this man enter his office. Very troubled man. And I think I just want to read the encounter from MacArthur's own, his, his own um, his, in the book he wrote, On the Power of the Bible. This is what the man said. I need help. I feel strange coming to you because I'm not a Christian. Until I, I'm Jewish. Until a few weeks ago, I've never even been in a church. But I've started coming to this church for six weeks now. I've been divorced twice. And now I'm living with a woman that I don't even really like. But I don't have the courage to leave her and go back. To my second wife. I'm a medical doctor. Worse than that, I'm an abortionist. I kill babies for a living. Last year in my clinic, we did $9 million in abortions. 
I just don't do, it's not only therapeutic abortions. I do abortions for any reason, and if a woman doesn't have a reason, I give her a reason. Six weeks ago, I came to Grace Community Church. Last week, you preached a message called, Delivered to Satan. If there's anybody on earth that's delivered to Satan, it's me. I'm doomed to hell for what I've done. I'm miserable, unhappy. I'm seeing a psychiatrist. I'm not getting any help at all. I cannot stand my guilt. So if you were the pastor and this guy came in your office, what would you tell him? How would you help him? MacArthur gave him a copy of the book of John, the gospel of John, and said, go read it and come back and talk to me. That's all he did. The guy came back. And MacArthur said, what would you learn? The Jewish doctor said, I learned that he's God. He said, nobody can talk like that. Nobody can do miracles like that unless he's God. Then MacArthur said, why did he come to earth? The guy responded, he came to die on a cross for my sin. Then he said, and they laid him in a tomb and three days later he resurrected and his resurrection from the grave proved that his death took away my sins MacArthur said that's not in the book of John how did you know that he said I like John so much I read the book of Romans too (laughs) and the guy said I'm resigning from my practice as an abortion doctor and I'm going back home and leaving the girl that I'm living with This is the power of the Word of God. It causes people to become born again. And I never get tired. It's my favorite stories to hear where somebody cold, parted, all of a sudden has the the white, hot power of worship flowing when the, the welding rod of the Bible touches their heart and the Holy Spirit brings them back to life. If you ever want to know why we love missions at this church and why we talk about this mission team went out and this missionary went out and I love right now seeing in the church we have some missionaries that are home on furlough and they spent 15 years in China. It's amazing when you think about when you think about you leave the United States with all of this comfort and why would you go to a place where they constantly risk their comfort and life Why? Because no one ever becomes born again without the Word of God. Ever! Look at at how Paul says it in Romans 10, 13, 14. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does that verse not make you happy, anybody here today? I love that verse. It's good, but you're here. That's good. That's why you can call. Think about those who aren't here. How then will they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they not, and how can they hear without someone preaching the Bible to them? They can't. No one has ever been saved without the word of God being spoken to them through some human going with that 
word. That's why we love missions. Number seven, why do we love the Bible? Why do we teach it earnestly? Because it's enduring. The Bible is enduring. Peter here says, he told him the Bible is living, but he says one more thing about it. For you've been born again, that's how you got born again, through the, then he describes it twice, living and enduring Word of God. So you might ask, what does it mean that the Bible is enduring? How is it enduring? Well, Peter tells us. All people, this is the next verse, all people are like grass, their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So we think he's talking about something lasting forever. Bible lasts forever. But it gets even more interesting when you realize where Peter got this verse from. It's not original with him. He borrowed it. He borrowed these words from his friend Isaiah. Now let me tell you why that's so important. If you read the book of Isaiah, it has 66 chapters. The first ch- uh, 39 chapters are tough to read. They're about judgment. Isaiah says to people, your sin has really caused you a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. You're going to get clobbered by the Babylonian army, and they're going to destroy your capital city, Jerusalem, and they're going to carry you off for a 70-year exile to their land. It's not good news. That's 39 chapters of that. Then everything changes, beginning with chapter 40 all the way through chapter 66. He says there's hope after judgment. Messiah's coming, and he's going to bring you back to your land, your city. It's just great. 27 chapters of hope. And they start with the 40th chapter. And it's in this 40th chapter where the the atmosphere changes in the book of Isaiah that we find Peter's words. First, Isaiah says, All people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Why does Isaiah say this? Because he's talking to a group of defeated people. And he's telling them, these Babylonians who are about to take your city, your freedom, those strong, powerful army men are going to die. But you who've been taken away to Babylon, I'm bringing you back. And you who cling to the word of God while all kingdoms fall and all armies died, you who cling to the word of God, you are going to live forever. So then Peter picks up on this and brings it back not to suffering Israelites, but to suffering Christians, and uses the same verse and says, All people are like grass, their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So Peter's talking to this suffering church, this persecuted church, house arrest, imprisonment, confiscation of property, and he says they can take everything from you, but all of you who cling to the word of God, you will live forever while they go off into eternal punishment. You will live forever who cling to the word of God. And then he adds one interesting uh, little twist to this. He reminds them, you know this, but that's why you come to church, to be reminded. And he says to them, and this is the word that was preached to you. We told you about this when we first came to town. 
And really, this phrase, this is the word that was preached to you, literally in the Greek is, this is the good news that we told you about. I'm not making that up. This word, preach, this is the word that was preached to you. The word preach comes from the word euangelion, which means to bring good news. You see those little red pamphlets that are out on the uh, point of interest or the welcome table. And if you're a guest, you've got a, a blue book and a little red book today in your guest packet. That little red book, the name of it is euangelion, which means good news. A euangelion was somebody who used to be sent out by the king and would go to a village and would say, Good news, the king is coming to visit your town. Peter says, that's what we did. We ran to you as apostles and disciples into your town and we told you about the good news of an everlasting kingdom that you can be a part of through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. This is what the angel told the shepherds on the night when Jesus was born. I bring you good news. A savior, a forgiver, a lover of you in all of your weakness is here. The king is coming not to slaughter you, but to embrace you. This is what we have. Good news. What are you going to tell people in the slums of India and South Africa? Poor, impoverished. What are you going to tell the people in Wuhan, China? Way outside that region now. What good news can you tell China right now? Other than there is an eternal kingdom to which God invites you, made possible through the death and resurrection of His Son, shedding of blood for the forgiveness of your sins, you are welcome into that family. We're the only one who has good news in the whole world. So go run. Go run, be a runner, a euangelion with the good news of Christ. Final thing, the Bible, the eighth reason we teach the Bible here with joy, with earnestness and vigor is the Bible is illuminating. Peter told us two things about the Bible in his epistles, one of them in his first letter, one of them in his second letter. This comes from the second letter he wrote to the suffering church. 2 Peter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I think the one thing that you sort of have learned in 17 years of me... <laughs> 17 years of others who teach here. I mean, I don't, have, I don't have an ounce of slick in me. I just don't. I don't even know how to, you know, don't wear my skinny jeans. I don't, I don't know how to, nothing clever, not slick. This is what Peter's saying. I, I didn't deceive you. I didn't make anything up about Jesus. I didn't try to make him... Look better than he is. He said, I didn't need to. He said, because I was an eyewitness. <laughs> I heard him speak. I watched him heal crippled children. I watched him give a command and a, 
A dead guy comes out of the tomb. I don't need to add anything to that. I was an eyewitness to Jesus. So I don't need to be slick because Jesus is so beautiful as he is. I'm just telling you about the real deal. That's what he says there. Then he takes us from 2 Peter to Mark 9 about the moment in Peter's life when he saw the best and most exciting display of Jesus' glory. And it occurred on a mountain. And he tells us about this. And he's going to take us back to 2 Peter. But he takes us back to an event. He said, Mark 9, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Now remember, Peter's intent in going back here to Mark is to tell us, man, I have seen the glory of Jesus Christ and it's unbelievable. So he tells us about the time where he saw the glory. And here's where it happened. They're on a mountain. We don't really know where that mountain is today. Best guess, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee is where I think the predominant scholars would, would lean. But it was on a high mountain. And this is what happened on the mountain. There Jesus was transfigured before them, supernaturally changed. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So they're on this mountain. You'll see in a minute, glory of God falls on the mountain. And Jesus supernaturally transforms into a white brightness that no one has ever seen on earth. You can't see that amount of brightness. His clothes just change. Why did he do that? Because he had just told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to nail me to a cross. They're going to beat me. Your friend, Jesus, I'm dying. So they're devastated. So he takes them up on this mountain. He takes them up on this mountain so he can show them his glory. He can show them this is what you're going to see. This is how you will see me forever and ever after I rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. This is a little glimpse of me in heaven. Be encouraged. You can make it. This is what you're going to see. I'm going to give you a glimpse of it now. So he encouraged them. God had something to say about Jesus on the mountain that day. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is God. This is my son whom I love. So now you got what happened on the mountain. God speaking out of the cloud. Now we can go back to 2 Peter because this is where he, he alludes to this story. 2 Peter 1. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Jesus is brighter than lightning and God is speaking from a cloud. That would be a good day. So that's why Peter says, I don't need to make anything up. I saw all this. I don't need to be slick. I don't need to be clever. It's glorious enough. And then Peter surprises us by telling us, you can see all of this too. Not just me, you too. He uses we, speaking of the whole church. We also 
have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Now he's talking about the Bible. You want to see what Jesus looked like? You can see him just as well as the disciples did. You want to watch him heal people? You want to hear his wise utterances? Bible. You want to watch him love sinners and forgive guilty prostitutes, tax collectors? Bible. We have the prophetic message. We have everything Peter had. To see just as they saw. But you've got to do something with that. Look how he ends. Well, I'll just read the whole thing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well in our face now. Pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> Pay attention to it. Like you got it. You've got everything you would ever need for life and godliness to see Christ, to love Him. All questions that need to be answered are answered. In the Bible, pay attention to it. Now why would he say pay attention? Because that's what God told Peter to do when he saw Christ on the mountain that day. Again, back to Mark 9. Very interesting how that happened. This is back on the mountain. This is the voice from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now that same phrase is used in 2 Peter. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Same one. I mean, like if you're with Jesus on the mountain and, you know, dazzling, lightning, white clothes, voice from a, a, a cloud of glory, the, the Father's voice, wouldn't you listen to the next thing Jesus is about to say? You have that in the Bible. Pay attention to the Bible. You have it. But I don't, know if, I don't know if we're paying attention to the Bible. We have it. Steve Shermer, who's um, president of um, Silk Road Catalyst, uh, wrote a great thing on Facebook a year or so ago and just really want you to hear about the privilege of having the Bible. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in this world who have no copy of God's Word because of government and religious oppression over them. There are believers who own a copy of the Bible but must hide in secret to study it. There are churches where the pastor is the only one who owns a copy and must travel from village to village teaching out of it so believers can learn what God says through His Word. There are non-believers who hide in secret to discover what the Bible says about God, doing so in secret because they fear what might happen to them if they're caught simply reading it. So we... Have the Bible, and I think the indictment against us who have it is that we're not paying attention to it, maybe even ignoring it. 
Pay attention tomorrow morning, this afternoon, to your Bible. What a gift it is that you have the picture of God and the picture of Jesus in it. Why do you want to pay so much attention to the Bible? Peter tells us. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. You would do well to pay attention to it. Here's why. Pay attention to it. It's a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Isn't that beautiful how that ends? You live in a dark world. Those who travel overseas know that more than anybody, but, I mean, it doesn't take but a few steps out here. I was with the precious people, the board members yesterday of Sidewalk Hope. We were having an afternoon time of prayer with the board. Sidewalk Hope, working in the inner city, has seen some pretty, pretty strong evidences of darkness. I know you see it. You read about it in news, newspaper. Live in a dark world. That dark world tempts you. Oh, my goodness, that dark world tempts you, doesn't it? Look, it says, look, taste. Dark world wounds you. That dark world breaks your heart. Dark world frightens you. And here Peter says, in that dark place there is a shining light, and that is the Word of God. And the only way that you're going to be able to walk in a dark world it's by the shining light of the Word of God. And Peter says that shining light will take you all the way until the day dawns, which is always in the Bible a reference to the day that Christ returns. Whenever the Bible says the day, it's always talking about the day that Christ returns. Anytime the Bible talks about the morning star, it is talking about Jesus. That's why you read the Bible, to get through a dark World, And I think that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. If you weren't here last week, I said that the Bible started becoming my light and my lamp in college. Which is why I love so much seeing students here. Everything changed for me in college or begin changing. So here's what I did in college. I bought a, a copy of the New Testament. And if you're not a reader of the Bible, I would say use my method. This is what I did in college. <clears throat> I bought a copy of the New Testament. And to be fully honest with you, before I even bought the copy of the New Testament, I bought a copy of the Cliff Notes on the Bible because I didn't know what the Bible was about, so I read Cliff Notes to find out what the whole thing is about. And I think I'm going to sort of do the Cliff Note version of the Bible next week. I think. I'm just going to tell you what the 17 major movements of the Bible. I hadn't made up my mind. I like doing it, but I don't want to. I hope it, I want it to be helpful. But for me, I didn't know anything about the Bible, so I read one chapter out of the New Testament every day and one chapter out of the Psalm. And I would still recommend, if you're not a Bible reader, that's a good place to start. Book of Mark, it's short. Get through it quick. One chapter of Mark, then one chapter of the Psalms. If you want to be ambitious, you can add the Old Testament to that. And So now you're doing three things every day. Old Testament, New, and Psalms. Well, let me just tell you how that discipline changed my life. And by doing this throughout my life, and I miss a few days every now and then, but not many. Um, 
I cannot tell you how many times in my life that the Bible has met me in the middle of a moment of fear or temptation or worry. And with such an encouraging word, it's like God intervened right in that circumstance. That's happened hundreds of times, but none more profound than September 25th, 1994. My pattern of reading the Bible started in college was read this chapter, which meant that tomorrow's reading would be the next chapter. So on September 25th, 1994, my wife and I are, are, are driving to Atlanta, to Emory, because I'm going to undergo a six-hour procedure to have a cartilage-based tumor called a chondrosarcoma removed from my right hip. Now, this surgery going to remove a lot of stuff out of my thigh and lymph nodes. And I guess the most body-altering thing was going to be they were going to take, remove the bone goes from my hip bone to my pelvis bone, the superior ramus, going to take it out and just going to stay out forever. So it's going to reduce about a, a third of the stability in my, my pelvis. Everything was going to change for me, and I, I didn't even know how much it was going to change, but everything was about to change. And so emotionally, I'm, Lisa and I are in that car, and we have an eight-month-old baby, and I am emotionally vexed. So I do all I need, to, what I did every day of my life. I read the Bible. I had read Psalm 50 the day before. So today was Psalm 51. Can you imagine how encouraged I was when I opened the Bible to Psalm 51 and read verse 8? Let me hear joy and gladness. And let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I'm about to have a surgery on bones. I get a Bible verse on bones. <laughs> that verse did not say, um, you know, God's going to do a miracle. We ha I had those people in my life. If you know, if you eat all this green veggie carrot mix, drink it, you'll get better. Had faith healers to say, if you believe enough, you'll get better. And so I had a lot of, man, just a lot of crud, a lot of confusion in my head. That verse did not say, I'm going to get better. That verse did not even tell me the cancer was going to stay away because it didn't. It came back in 99 to my left lung. What this verse told me, the God of the universe was riding in that car with me to Atlanta. That's what it told me. Only he could arrange that. And every day since then, my Bible reading has told me the same message. God will strengthen me in the darkness until the dawn of eternity begins when I will see Jesus whose glory is brighter than any morning star. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these dear ones that you would providentially bring. We prayed all week for them to come, and amazingly, they came. Guest, how grateful we are that we have guest. We thank you for young people and old people. 
families and you brought them here. And Lord, I pray for them that they would fall in love today. There would be a stirring in their heart to love your Bible, to love the written expression of the mind of God, to be able to stand with Moses and watch you part the Red Sea, to be able to be in that lion's den with Daniel and to watch you shut the mouths of lions and to defeat those Persian enemies. Father, we thank you that we get to watch Jesus walk across the Sea of Galilee. We get to hear him say, Talitha kum, and see that little dead girl arise and given back to her mother. Father, we think, thank you that we get to watch him stand in the Jordan River <laughs> talking with people in, in line, shopkeepers, prostitutes, centurions, guilty people. And he's coming to be baptized all the way into the cross for them. God, help us to love your Bible. To know that it is filled with warnings, promises, comforts, direction, and strength. It is your word that keeps us alive. Father, we pray for the spread of the Bible to places in the world where people are yearning, asking, begging. They woke up this morning, what is truth? What is the way to heaven? How can I be forgiven? Please send a missionary there with a Bible. Please bless the spread of the Bible around the world. And now, God, as we get ready to sing the Bible, we pray that the Holy Spirit would take the welding rod of Scripture, touch our hearts, and ignite white, hot worship so that we can believe, obey, surrender, and serve again with joy. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.